to spend today and next week um, looking to what it really means to be God's stewards. I feel this is good and needed at this point in time uh, in just the life of this year that we're in. Um, we're finishing summer. Uh, we're about to kick off our school year, our, our midweek gathering season here at Disciples Church on Wednesdays. And it's just a good time, I feel like, to pause and reflect on what it is the Lord really has called us to and understand these things rightly that we would honor Him in it. Um, want us to take inventory this morning and next week of how we are stewarding the life that God has entrusted to us. We are not sinfully, pridefully, or selfishly making our lives about us, but that we are rightly making it all about Him. This makes sense because everything that we are and have belongs to Him. It's, it's His. It's to be lived and managed for His glory and to be done His way. This is what the word steward means. The dictionary definition of a steward is simply one who manages or looks after that which belongs to another. And, and is that our view of our life? Did you wake up this morning and rightly see that this body, this life that you've been entrusted with belongs to someone else? That the family that you have around you belongs to someone else? The home you woke up in, the car you drove in, the clothes you wear, they ultimately belong to someone else. And you've been commissioned and call to manage it for him and to do it his way not your own way church we belong to God everything in this entire creation belongs to him everything that we possess ultimately belongs to him and is to be stewarded his way and for his glory that's what it means to be a manager a steward of God God-honoring stewardship is a biblical worldview that properly honors the fact that it is our privileged opportunity to be faithful managers of God's provisions and God's purposes for God's glory and the good of His creation. My question to you is, do you see your entire life through this lens? Because I think on maybe one side, if you've been church for any amount of time, you say, yeah, I, I agree with that. But, but I come back to the waking up in the morning. Is that really how you see all that you have through that lens? Right? Someone loaned you the really expensive car for the week. I mean, every time you get ready to even get in that car and run that car and drive it, you would have a, a different way of viewing it and handling it and stewarding it. Do you rightly see that it's all His? 
It's our privilege to be entrusted with it. First Chronicles 29.14 The NIV says, Everything comes from you. And we have given you only what comes from your hand. So, we got to ask, how can I steward this day, this relationship that I'm in, this struggle that I'm in, this promotion that I'm receiving, this new school year, this job that I have, this child, this ailment that my body is going through, this vacation, this opportunity, not so that it goes my way, not so that I am honored, but so that God is honored. And it is done in a way that honors His word and will. When we have a right view that we are God's stewards, then we will rightly see my life is His. My family is His. My body is His. My money is His. My time is His. My skills are His. Romans 1.6 says, The heart of Christianity is to belong to Jesus. We belong to Him for His glory. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20, You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Beloved, I, I ask you, is it your privilege to joyfully, regularly, and generously manage your schedule, your skills, your body, your life for God's glory. Is this your approach to life? Is this what shapes you? Is this why you live your life the way you do? I hope you're starting to see how intrusive it is, how, how global it is. I love Paul's words to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6.17. Command those who are rich in this present world, I would argue that's us, not to be arrogant, nor to put our hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. As redeemed children of God, our joy, our hope is not in our stuff, it's in God. But their hope in God, Paul says. If our hope is in God, and our, and our joy is in Christ, and our clear understanding is that everything that I possess at any given time is His and is to be used for His glory and His purposes, only then will I be a good steward of that, that which He has entrusted to me in this short time before eternal life. In this we will 
not have an overgrip on our life, fearing death, on our safety, on our family, our loved ones, on our health. We won't have an overgrip on our job. We won't have an overgrip on our stuff or our momentary freedoms. Like my joy, my life is in that. But it's not. Not when you know Christ. You've exchanged the counterfeit for the real thing. Stewardship is about management of another's. God's. It's not about me and mine. It's not about ownership. If we think that it's ours, we mismanage it sinfully. Now, there's a lot of liberty the Lord gives us in how we do this life. There's a lot of freedom to go left and not right or up or not down. But even in that, as we pursue that, as we live that out, We've got to do it to understand that the very ability to take those steps and to to enjoy or participate in those things is for the glory of God. And if you're wrestling with this because you've worked really hard to earn what you have, to master the skills that you have, to maybe secure the lifestyle that, that you want, I would just commend you to heed Holy Scripture. Deuteronomy 8, 17 through 18. You may say to yourself, My power and strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Or 1 Corinthians 4, 7. For who sees anything different in you What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Realize God has not entrusted us with everything we own and everything we have, with the number of our days that we'll live, For you, he's ultimately done that for him, for his glory. They're a gift of God. It's all a total gift of God. And do I have that view of it? I love John the Baptist's example, one of my favorites in all of Scripture. He was a big deal in his day. Jesus said he was the most important man to ever live. That's a pretty big like quote on the resume. Jesus said that about him. But when tempted, when given opportunity to make it about himself and his own heart and before others, he is deeply motivated to highlight that it was his utter privilege to live his life for the glory of Jesus alone. Chapter 1, John the Baptist essentially says, 
Speaking of Jesus, this one I speak of, the one whom you don't know, is so important and big that even he who comes after me, John was older than he was, the strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. Even though I'm his elder, I'm not worthy to do the work of the lowest slave and untie his sandals. He later says very famously in John 3.30, He must increase, and I must decrease. And so what does that look like for you and for me today? That He would increase in all that you do and say, and you would decrease. Be more about him and less about you. More about what he wants and less about you want. It was John's joy to live not for his own fame, not for his own gain, not for his own preferences or objectives, but for Christ. The New Testament understanding of a believer's relationship to Christ is that he is the master and the owner, and we are his possession. He is the master, the king, the Lord. We are his subjects, his subordinates. The word the New Testament uses more than any other is we are his slaves. What I've found is many Christians don't see it as their privilege to be Christ's slave. If you are objecting to even the idea of being a slave... You need to understand Holy Scripture teaches that you are a slave no matter what. You are either a slave to sin or a slave to Christ. So it's only the arrogance of our sin and the pursuit of my own kingdom by which I'd reject that entire thought process and it would be about me. And I would rule. found that many Christians don't see it as their privilege to be good stewards because they don't see their schedules, their skills, their stuff, their family as God's. They, they believe it's theirs. So we pursue our own agendas, our own priorities. We make up our own reasoning for why we're not doing it His way, we're doing it our way. Again, let me read you. Stewardship is our privileged opportunity to be faithful managers of God's provisions and God's purposes for God's glory and the good of His creation. To fight this, we have to see that it all belongs to God. The very core point, the very fundamental starting point of stewardship is that I'm not managing something that's mine. I'm managing something that belongs to another. And so listen to King David as he represents the heart of stewardship so well in his prayer in 1 Chronicles 29, 13 through 17. I read you verse 14 earlier, but here's the passage. He says, O our God, thank you and praise your glorious name, but who am I, who are my people that we could give anything to you? Everything we have has come from you, and we give you only what you have already given us. 
We are here only for a moment, visitors and strangers in this land, as our ancestors were before us. Our days on earth are like a shadow, gone so soon without a trace. O Lord, our God, even these materials that we've gathered to build a temple to honor your holy name come from you. It all belongs to you. I know, my God, that you examine our hearts and you rejoice when you find integrity there. You know I've done all this with good motives and I've watched your people offer their gifts willingly and joyously. My heart, for us, for this David's praying for his people, for the Lord. My heart for us, these people, is this as well. We understand it's all the Lord's. It's not ours. It's God's. And Because I understand that, then stewardship is something I enjoy. As he says, we do it willingly and, and joyously. And what I definitely don't do is turn anger or angst against the Lord that it's not going my way. Which is surely the temptation of our flesh when we are struggling, suffering. Or the Lord's just ordaining a different path than maybe we wanted. Stewardship is our privilege, opportunity to be faithful managers of God's provisions and God's purposes. So we've got to take this further. God is the one who rules over his creation as he wills for his purposes and his glory. That means God's He purposes each of us with different lots in life. Different realities that we face and have to go through that we are to steward. When you sit here on a Sunday morning, you look around the room or out and about, and you get caught up in saying, I don't like my reality. I wish wish what I was going through looked like that family or looked like that person. You're missing the opportunity to embrace the sovereignty of God to assign to you His purpose for you. And that's a role He's ordained for you to play for the testimony of the gospel. We really get in a bad place when we want it all to look the same. When I want everyone to kind of either look like me or I want to look like them. There's a sweet diversity that's in the church. In Daniel 4.35 we read, All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. He, he, God, does according to His will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay His hand or say to Him, What have you done? The point is, God's, God will work His creation as He perfectly wills for His eternal purposes, whether you and I understand it or like it or not. It rightly belongs to Him. He is the potter and we are the clay. 
Biblical truth is God will use many moments or a lifetime of suffering for His perfect purposes. Jesus says that a, a man's lifelong suffering ailments are so the works of God might be displayed in him. Even those he would ordain to have ailments from conception in the womb for a lifetime. So the works of God might be displayed in him. For some, he purposes them to be rich, and for some, he purposes them to be poor. Proverbs 22, 2, the rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. So God purposes some of you to testify the gospel and the joy of the Lord in your wealth and others in your poverty. This is his purpose for you. For some, he purposes for marriage, and for some, he purposes for singleness. Speaking of marriage and singleness, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, 7, each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. So God purposes some of you to testify the gospel and the joy of the Lord in your marriage and others in your singleness. This is his purpose for you. For some, he purposes to be healthy and strong, and for some, he purposes to be stricken with impairment, physical suffering. John 9, 1 through 3, passed by and saw a man blind from birth. He, his disciples asked, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. God purposes some of you to testify the gospel and the joy of the Lord in your physical strength and others in your physical struggle or even sickness or impairment. This is his purpose for you. For some, he purposes them to have children, and others not. Scripture says children are a gift of God. For Psalm 127, 3, Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. Scripture also shows that God purposes some to not have children. First Samuel 1, 5, Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. For some, he purposes the elect to have saving faith. And for some, he purposes to reveal his wrath and power through them unto their deserved judgment due their sin. Romans 9, 10 through 23. Not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election choosing those whom he would save and those he wouldn't, that it might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. She, told, she was told, the older is going to serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved and Esau I hated. So what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. He says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. 
So it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I have raised you up that I might show my power in you that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whom he wills and he hardens whom he wills. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, both perfect and wonderful attributes of God, he has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? in order to make known the riches of His glory for vessels of mercy, which He has prepared beforehand for glory. God purposes some of you to testify the gospel and the joy of the Lord in your salvation from sin, and in others whom He will not save, God is glorified for His righteous wrath and power that is put on display over their judgment and sin. God is glorified in both the redeemed and the condemned. Because in both, His righteousness and holy attributes are put on display. So therefore, if God ordains that some of my children are saved and some are not, God is worthy to be praised and trusted. He does not owe me salvation to my children. He is not a better God because He saves all my kids. That is a, a man-made view of Him. God will be glorified in how He stewards His creation. We must have a right view of this. And it is this. It is one's deepest love for God and faith and trust in God that gives a parent true peace about this. Because my child is not my idol of my heart. God is the greatest affection and purpose of my life and my heart. If it all belongs to God and is for His glory, then we will not balk when it doesn't go our way. But we will embrace it as good and right. We will embrace the fact that He's on the throne. We will walk by faith and not by sight. We who belong to Christ must see that our very existence is for the joy of making much of the name of Jesus. And so if God ordains hardship or suffering in this life, we can be sure He will use it for His good purposes and glory. Do you know that? Do you believe that? Not just at one moment, but you wake up every day and you put on the purpose of that. Romans 
Hear it with fresh ears, church. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Do you know this? Do you believe it? This means if and when hardship falls on your doorstep, you trust God. You rejoice in God. You endure that hardship for God's glory and purposes. Whether it's chronic pain or terminal illness, the health of a baby, hardship of finding or keeping a job, living in singleness, struggling through a hard marriage or raising a tough child. Listen to Peter instruct the saints, 1 Peter 4.16, If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Stewardship is our privileged opportunity to be faithful managers of God's provisions and God's purposes for God's glory and the good of His creation. We're created for His glory. We're bought with a high price for His glory. We've been entrusted with what we have for His glory. We're blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Therefore, we can joyously, regularly, generously live an open-handed life. When we understand that we are transient, that this world's not our home, as we read earlier in Hebrews 13 at the Lord's Supper, this is not our goal, this is not our prize, so we don't clutch the things of this world like it's all there is going to be. We live at a level of fullness that the world doesn't understand. But in doing so, we get to a Escape the traps of the temporary. First Peter 4, 10-11, Each one should use whatever gift he's received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If one, anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. God has created us, gifted us for a work He's set before us. And so the question is, are we using this life and what He's entrusted to us to be good, godly stewards for His glory and the good of His creation? The rest of our time this morning and our time together next Sunday, I want to focus on a few areas of practical application as it relates to two large subjects in our life. The first being our blood family. The second being our blood-bought family, the church. This morning, to finish, I want to focus on our blood family and our stewardship of the blood family. Being a God-honoring steward of your blood family starts with your being grounded and growing in Christ yourself. This is really important, and yet all too often skipped, where you long to be a great brother or sister or child of a parent or spouse or parent yourself. 
And yet you do that out of a very empty cup. Your good stewardship of your blood family starts with tending to yourself. It's why when you fly in an airplane, they instruct you, if it's all going bad, and the roof breaks apart, and masks fall to your face, parents, put yours on first, and then your children's. Why? Because if you pass out, what good are you to them? And that really is the reality of stewardship, too. We are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. Where we are with Him, our cup being filled, then sets us up to love others. If you are single, this pertains to you in a very significant way, too, that you would be tending to yourself, maturing and abiding in Christ first, in order that you would even be ready to be entrusted with a significant other's heart and life. And or be truly content with Christ, who is your life. If you remain single, so that you don't feel like you got the short end of the stick. Christian, is your cup full? Are you abiding in the Lord? First, why am I struggling with so many facets of my life? Why am I so bitter? Why am I so critical? Why am I so complaining? Often it's because your own cup, your own abiding, your own simple just joy in the Lord's not tended to. And for some of us, what we do is we, we kind of ride a faithfulness to that for a lot of seasons prior. And we kind of feel like, oh, I did the work. I've done all that. I know all that. We must keep abiding. We must remain humble to grow. Steadfast in God's good word. It is Christ who must be our hope and our strength and our help for loving and leading our family unto the glory of the Lord. If you skip your own spiritual, mental, physical health, then you're in no shape to properly love and serve your family unto the glory of the Lord. Because it is Christ in you and at work through you that inspires and empowers godly stewardship of your blood family. If this is going to be the case, then Christ must truly be first in your life. And so we really need to go no further than just the great commandment. Matthew 22, 37 through 40. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the, the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. First and foremost, we must love God more than anything or anyone else. To love something or someone else more than God is to be an idolater. I think most Christians believe they love God more than anything else. But I just ask you, is that really the case? Is it the case for you? If you're honest and you say, no, 
I really love my spouse or my child more than I love God, then you must see the love you bring to your marriage or to your blood family is inferior, far inferior to what you would bring them if your love was first for God. If you truly love God more than anything else, the true test of that is that you would forsake everything else for Him. If you were left in your life so stripped to the bone, stripped of all your family, all your money, all your health, all of your status, all of your friends, and you still had Him, you would rejoice. For you've not lost your first love, your greatest love. And if not, and that happened, you would be undone. God must be first. When it says, love the Lord your God with all, what does all mean here? It doesn't mean sometimes. It doesn't mean part way. It doesn't mean when you feel like it. It doesn't mean you give him some of your heart. No, no, he's the king of my heart. When we commit our greatest love to God, then he reveals to us, he empowers us how to best love everyone else. A big part of the blood family is, for many of you, marriage. Consider that for a moment. Is Christ the center of your marriage? Is he your first love more than your spouse? Are you really investing real time into your relationship with Christ in prayer and in his word so that he is fueling you with an overflow of selfless love for your spouse? This is the essential fuel of a healthy marriage, the selfless love of God at work every day. Every wedding ceremony that I'm privileged to do, I send the couple away from the altar with this benediction from Colossians 3, 14-17. The most important piece of clothing you must wear is love. Love is what binds us together in perfect harmony. Let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body you are called to live in peace and always be thankful that the words of Christ in all of their richness live in your hearts and make you wise. Use these words to teach and to counsel each other. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, let it be as a representative of the Lord Jesus, all the while giving thanks through Him to God the Father. May it be so in our marriages, church. As we grow in Christ, as we love God above all else. Is your marriage first and foremost for for the glory of God? rightly dependent on Christ to empower you, to teach you, to propel you. The very construct of marriage is modeled after Christ 
in his relationship with his bride. Purpose of it is for more than romance or family in this life, it's to put on display the gospel. Consider Paul's words when teaching on marriage in Ephesians 5. Give them fresh church. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Can I just say, wives, you're not going to do that very well if you're not submitting well to the Lord. Right? It comes back to that first relationship. For the husband's ahead of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, gave himself up for her. Again, we look to the Lord who empowers, who set the pace for the depth of the sacrifice of our love for our wives. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are all members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see to it that she respects her husband. For those of you who are newer to our church, who might be struggling in stewarding your marriage for God's glory and doing it God's way, It's a big area of your life. And for I, what I've found in, is that many have really not slowed to really study it, to really be trained in God's design for it. And so I would commend to you, by God's grace, some of the, the best work that I've done in 20 plus years of ministry in my teaching through Ephesians most recently on this passage and all that comes out of it. And I will gladly send you the link to those lessons on understanding marriage through God's lens and thriving and all that comes with it. You would treat it as a wonderful investment. For those of you who have been through that, an opportunity for renewal and refreshing to be good stewards of our marriages. Email us. We'll happily send you that. Emails are on the back of your bulletin, on the website. They're all over I pray you'll take the time to do the work to grow in this area of stewardship. What about another area of the blood family, and that is those that God has entrusted to us in our children. For those of you to whom that applies, we are to be God's steward in raising our children. Ephesians 6, 1-4, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you will live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Again, do you see the centrality of the Lord in all of this? 
He must be the center. He must be first the source, the power for good stewardship. See with me that stewardship of our parenting, our children, and the disciplines and truths of the Lord, again, starts with the maturing of your own faith. As you walk in faith, as you know the truths of the Lord, grow in them. Your children will only go as far as you are equipped to take them, parents. We must be so aware of the fact that the Lord is the one who has entrusted us with our family. The question is, am I fulfilling my God-given role in their life? Am I parenting them my way? Or am I parenting them the popular world's way? Or am I truly parenting them God's way? Psalm 127.3, sons are a heritage from the Lord, children are a reward from Him. Once again, we must recognize the fact that our children are really God's children. He has created them. He has entrusted them to us to love and to shape for His glory. We must never lose sight of the fact that our raising our children is a privilege and not a right. God does not owe us any of this. Our children ultimately do not belong to us. They belong to Him. And the days He's entrusted you with them to this point are a gift, and He owes you none of them tomorrow. When we forget this, when we lose sight of this, we start to make our children the idols of our heart. And God, then, the one who's obligated to make sure that the way we want it to go is fulfilled. This is a dangerous and sinful place to be. When we make our kids the source of our happiness, of our life's identity, we're guilty of having an overgrip on them. In this, we're set to be crushed when they're never conceived or not born. If and when they become sick, if they get hurt, or they're mistreated, if they choose to abandon or betray us, if they pass away before us, if they're never saved by Christ. When we have an overgrip on our children, we can become prone to be more concerned with pleasing them and keeping a good relationship with them instead of pleasing God and parenting them His way. When we're more concerned with keeping our kids close than raising them in the disciplines and truths of the Lord, we compromise the very priorities of God that He's given us to shape them, protect them, and mold them. We must have a right grip in view of our children. God must remain first, and only when He is will we love and lead our kids rightly and for His glory and not our own. Here at Disciples Church, we're passionate about parent, partnering with you in your parenting. We, we were at the forefront in this community, in this region, for decades of all the programming and offerings and ministries you could dream of the church offering. And we saw that all of that kept our family so busy 
parents were not being trained and children were not being equipped and discipled by their parents. And so we stripped a ton of that way back to really simplify, to hone in on what are we teaching them Sunday as a catalyst to what you will do with them through the week. Parent, if you're not utilizing that that way, you're, you're throwing away the opportunity that it's primarily not what they get for an hour on Sunday, but for what you get to do all with them all week, night and day, and up and down. The Word of Truth Catechism that has been written and, and worked through and set the table that we would know these truths and you would be taught these truths to rightly understand doctrine, biblical doctrine, so that you would rightly divide the Word for your children and build that foundation under them. Foundations, foundations light. These ministries exist primarily for you, the parents, not for your kids. If you think the kids' box has been checked because of their attendance to these things, you missed the whole thing. It's really to set you up to do it. We're just a help to equip, to walk with you in it. Let me be clear, the most important areas of your children's life are not their fun. It's not their school, their education. The world is pressed hard on that as a priority, and it's not. It's not their sports. It is growing in the truths and the disciplines of the Lord. First, most. And you cheat them. You over-prioritize all those other things and you, and you just sprinkle them with some of, of God's Word. He's given us these days under the sun to steward their lives in such a way where that's the priority. If they have a wicked curveball or a 4.0 grade average, but they don't first and foremost have a rock-solid foundation of God's Word under them, we've grossly missed the mark of what God gave us to do with them. God's Word is so clear that we are to be faithful and focused stewards of the days He gives us under the sun with our kids. Listen. Listen to this most central launching pad of the Old Testament for God's people, Deuteronomy 6, 4-9, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your strength. These commandments I give to you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Is this the vernacular of your home? The priority of your days. It needs to be. And so it's okay. Make less money. Do less activities. To make sure that you're not skipping this for those things. 
Raising a child in the Lord is not a passive thing that we do haphazardly. It is a daily investment to train and disciple and invest. God's word directs us to make the most of the days God gives us with our children. And so I just ask you, are you truly invested daily in their development, their discipline, their spiritual maturity, or are you guilty of just occasionally tending to those things? And if that's true, I pray that this time this morning is a blessing of the Lord to, to really have a fresh start in this new season with some new priorities. To understand why we do Sunday school the way we do here at Disciples Church, why we do children's and youth ministry the way we do. To help you grow in your understanding of these truths and then to help equip you to to walk this out with your children, not to do it for you. That God's truths in Christ's gospel would truly be the theme, the anchor, the foundation, the vernacular of your home. With midweek kicking off this Wednesday, it couldn't be a more perfect opportunity to, to take a fresh start. If you parents who are in Foundations Light or Foundations uh, have been reading emails, coming to orientations, then, then already this weekend you're getting to work. You're walking with your kids. And the first of the truths, we're going to be working to impart them every week. That work is happening and we're, we're after it. I pray that's the case for you. And if not, then let's go. Can I speak to the fathers for a moment? This is not the job of the mothers. Ephesians 6, 4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. That task is primarily, is first given to you. And yes, in your stewardship, in your delegation, in your management of your home, there might be much of how your helpmate helps you do that carry some of that water for you but but you don't get to say I really don't know what she's doing we want to come alongside you man we want if our if our fathers if our husbands would embrace this all the more we will continue to see amazing fruit it has been a part of the amazing fruit that we have seen in these last seasons in this church Praise the Lord. I can't tell you how many decades I was involved in the church where the women did all the work. They did all the ministries. And the men were busy checking a secular box. Oh, I make the money for us and I'll I'll do some fun things with the kids. If they need some real discipline, I'll do that. This is our ministry first. So we've poured into the men. We've called the men to be men, to be godly men in an effort to reorient that. May it continue to be so. Like the marriage series, I spoke of videos and trainings that we've done over the years to help you think about raising your children in the truths and disciplines of the Lord. We want to offer that as well when it comes to parenting. So we have seminars we're going to offer you. Email us. We'd love to share those with you. If you're newer to the church, you've never sat through some of those, we want to bless you with some of that. Um, We'll do that there. I want to talk with you about how we are to be good stewards of our blood-bought family next week. 
Um, that will be the focus of my sermon at next Sunday in our single service at 9 o'clock, all church summer service. In the meantime, may we truly slow to do business with the fact, that the big but simple fact that it all belongs to the Lord. And it's to be managed, stewarded His way and for His glory. And there's a lot of layers of application for us there, church. And I pray you would really be doing business with those this week. Leaning into mature brothers and sisters that the Lord's put in your life, your shepherds, so we can walk that out with you. We do that together. I pray that you would take some time to truly consider the God-honoring stewardship of your blood family, as we've spoken of this morning. Remembering that it starts with you being grounded and growing in Christ. That's so big, that's where we're going to pick it back up next week. May we truly live out our singleness and our marriages for the glory of the Lord and to do that His way. May we steward our children's lives not for our identity, joy, or agendas, but for the Lord's. To truly invest in them daily in the truths and disciplines of the Lord, trusting them to Him every day. Church, may we steward our lives in these things to honor Christ. May it all first and foremost be about Christ. He would increase. We would decrease. Pray with me. Lord, you are good. And you have done a work to unshackle us from our slavery and sin and selfishness that you would be the king of our hearts. In tenderness, you have moved in your grace and your love to save us. (laughs) We have so much to praise you for. The joy that it is to celebrate the Lord's Supper because of the gospel at work in our lives, the empowerment, the freedom, the, the sanctification that you're doing in us that then goes to apply in in so much of what your word is blessing us to understand and to live out.